Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. I'm going to pick up where we left off a few weeks ago in picking up in Numbers chapters 27, 28, maybe 29. 28 and 29 sort of go together, and they are a review from Exodus and Leviticus, so maybe we can roll through those two chapters as well. But going through a transition here for Moses and the children of Israel, as far as we know, and the Bible is silent as to any remaining Israelis from the first generation except for Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. So as far as we know, that first generation that came out of Israel from the ages of 20 and up had died in the wilderness, including Moses' sister, Miriam, his brother, Aaron, and tonight we'll learn that Moses will be on that list as well. He already learned from the Lord that he wouldn't be going into the promised land, but God is going to grace him with a look, a survey of the land before he goes into his eternal rest. And then we're preparing then the next generation of worshipers. I titled this overall study, A New Leader for Israel. It's something that Moses requested from God for the children of Israel to give them a leader to guide them as they enter into the promised land. And so we're going to see a lot of that in this first chapter, Numbers chapter 27. So I want to begin by opening us up in prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving for Crystal, who had surgery today, and she went through the surgery well, uh, shoulder surgery. I've had four of them, so I know that she has a bit of recovery to go through now, but thankful that her surgery went well, and so we'll lift that up before the Lord as well. So, Father, we thank you for this night you've given us to gather together. And, Father, uh, just this gorgeous day that we have had here. Our brothers and sisters out in California, Lord, have been posting pictures of snow, something they rarely see. And for them to have snow and to get into cooler temperatures, it's pretty rare to them. For us here, Lord, it hit 52, and we felt like it was summertime today. We were enjoying the beautiful weather that you have given us. And we thank you, Lord, for days like this. We ask, Lord, that you would be with Crystal as she is probably home now and getting situated for the night, and just pray for her comfort and her healing from this surgery, and uh, pray for her family as they assist her over the next few weeks especially, and for the church body that will come around and provide meals. We just pray, Lord, that it will be a blessing to their family as well. Bless us tonight, Lord, as we look into your word. It's words that were penned so many years ago about events, Lord, that took place in the early days of the nation of Israel. But there are things here, Lord, that are applicable for us as well. Though 
not specifically speaking to us as part of the church and not the nation of Israel. There are things, Lord, that we gain a better understanding of the work of Jesus and of your ministry there in the Old Testament to the children of Israel and how, Lord, those things can apply to us in our lives today. So, Lord, open our hearts to receive from your word this evening. Help us to learn, Lord, that which you would have for us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it's Moses. He's seeking a shepherd for Israel in Numbers 27. And I chose two verses that the Lord speaking, or Moses speaking to the Lord, as key verses for this chapter in Numbers 27, 16, and 17, Moses saying to the Lord, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Interesting. Didn't Jesus say in the gospel when he saw the people, they were like sheep without a shepherd? And here Moses, the shepherd of Israel, asking the Lord to give them another shepherd, one who can go before them, go out and go in. And normally that's a term in the Old Testament that applied to kings or leaders of the king's army of going out to war and coming back in. And so normally that's kind of a term of war that's used there, and he uses it twice, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like a sheep which have no shepherds. So that sets us up for chapter 27. But before we get to that, we meet the daughters of Zolophed, Zolahad, and I'll, I'll probably get this eventually, that name. I should have reread this again earlier before I came back over here, but stumbling on some of the names at the very beginning of Numbers chapter 27. and verses 1 through 11, we learn about some daughters, five sisters who had no brother and their father had passed away. And so they came to Moses and stood before Eliezer the priest. Aaron has already passed away. So his son Eliezer is the high priest now. And so these five sisters, Mahla, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Tarza, they came before Moses, verse 2, and Eliezer the priest, before the leaders of the congregation, by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, verse 3, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered against the Lord in the company with Korah, but he died in his own sins, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no sons. Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So Moses brought the case before the Lord, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Remember, when uh, Jethro showed up, Moses' father-in-law showed up and saw that Moses was judging all the people of the children of Israel from morning till evening. And at that evening, Jethro said to his son-in-law, The thing that you are doing, it's not good for you and it's not good for the people. And if the Lord wills, then set up leaders 
whom you can kind of spread out this authority, judges over the nation, judges of thousands and of hundreds and of tens. And then they can handle the smaller cases. But if there's something too difficult, then they'll bring that case to you. So this is a situation where the case is actually brought to Moses. We don't know if uh, these sisters came through the process of another judge, but they brought their complaint to Moses, their case to Moses, who stood before the Lord in their behalf. In verse 7, the daughters of Zilaphad speak what is right. And the Lord speaking to Moses, you shall surely give them possession of inheritance among the father's brothers and cause the inheritance of the father to pass to them. You shall speak to the children of Israel saying, if a man dies and has no sons, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father has no brother, then you shall give his inheritance to the, to the relative closest to him and his family, and he shall possess it. It shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment, just as the Lord commanded Moses. So they had a legitimate request that they brought to Moses and Eleazar, and Moses in turn brought the request before the Lord. He sought Yahweh's counsel in this situation and judged that all inheritances should remain in the family. It seems only right. But also we get the hint of the kinsman redeemer in the sense if he had no son, it would go to the daughter. No daughter, it would go to a brother. No brother, it would go to a cousin and down and down that it would eventually stay in the family. And it reminded me a little bit of Boaz and Ruth, he was not, he became Ruth's kisman redeemer, but the actual redeemer was someone who did not want to redeem, he wanted the property, but he didn't want Ruth. Um, so Boaz became Ruth's kinsman redeemer, but he was not the first in line. So we kind of see that you know, look at the situation. And we have that similar type of inheritance today. If there's not uh, immediate family, then the next of kin. And that's what's being played out here. But it was something in the Bible, too, that an example of women in the Bible being given a high standing in the sense that they would receive this inheritance. Later on, we would read that there would be the desire that they would marry within the tribe of their ancestors that the inheritance would not go outside of the tribe, belong to another tribe, but keep it in the family, keep it in the family tribe. But Moses sought Yahweh in his decision-making process, as should we. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Has anyone hearing my voice here tonight ever leaned upon their own understanding? It's like, I got it figured out, Lord. I got this one. And sometimes it might work out. But better to trust in the Lord and to lean on him, acknowledge him 
Allow him to direct our paths. So the Lord, in verses 12 through 14, tells Moses to go up to this mount, Abram, and to see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you shall also be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zen, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hollow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen. So spelt with a Z here, there's another spot where they spelt that with an S, the wilderness of Sen. They both refer to the rock and the water, and they both refer to Kadesh. Um, so we have two different spellings of that in the Hebrew. I've looked and checked the Hebrew. It is two different spellings. So I haven't quite rectified the two different wilderness called by two different things. You look at the Sea of Galilee in uh, the New Testament, and uh, it's the Sea of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it has different names given to it as well. So God directs Moses to to the Mount Abram, where he could see the promised land before his death. In this, we see God's grace. Moses had been journeying. Well, in one sense, perhaps in his heart, he's been journeying toward the promised land all of his life. But especially the last 40 years of his life, from the age of 80 to 100, or 120 And yet he was unable to enter into the promised land. God gave the reason because he had rebelled along with Aaron against Yahweh's command at the waters of Meribah. There God had commanded them to speak to the rock. The people were thirsty. They needed water. God told Moses and Aaron to stand before the people to speak to the water, to speak to the rock, and the water would flow forth. But instead, Moses decided that the people needed a good yelling at. And then he took the rod of God and he struck the rock twice in anger and made it appear that God was angry with the people. I don't think God was angry with the people at all. But they disobeyed the command of God. For this, they were not allowed to enter into the promised land. So in doing this, um, they ruined a beautiful typology of the striking of the rock of the second time. By striking that rock, the first time they came to that rock, God said to strike the rock, to cause the water to flow forth. There in the wilderness of sin, Exodus 17, 1 through 7 is that account. But the second time, God said, just speak to the rock and the water will flow. He said nothing about striking the rock. Well, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul connects the rock that followed Israel around in the wilderness, kind of how Paul words it. He connects it to Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 10.4, where he says, They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So when we think about it today, Jesus Christ was struck once for our sins when he died upon the cross and he has caused the waters of salvation to flow forth from that day forward. Jesus does not 
need to be struck again or a second time. The word of God tells us in Hebrews 9 verses 11 and 12, but Christ came as the high priest of the good things to come with a the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal salvation. Once for all. You can find that once for all phrase a couple of times, maybe three times in the book of Hebrews as the author of Hebrews really trying to get the point across that what Christ did when he died upon a cross, his death, burial, and resurrection was a one-time event that was sufficient for all who would call upon his name. Today, all we need to do is speak to the rock and cause the waters of salvation to flow forth into our hearts. That rock is Jesus Christ. Another thing I like about this passage is God saying to Moses, you know, go up on this mountain. You get to see the promised land. You're going to do this before I gather you to your people. So like Aaron was gathered, you're also going to be gathered to your people. And it just gives me a larger expectation of heaven where we'll not only be with Jesus, But also, we'll have those people that we love, our people that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, those loved ones who have trusted the Lord, they'll be there. And I love how that is worded, that you'll be gathered to your people there. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 tells us, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but I shall be known just as I am known. So we have a greater expectation in heaven of not only being with the Lord, but also with those whom we love and other believers as we're gathered together with our people. So after he saw the promised land, Moses spoke to the Lord, verse 15 through 23. Let the Lord God, the spirit of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hands on him. Set him before Eliezer, the priest, and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight, and you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall require before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. And at his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation. He laid his hands on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So Moses sought for a shepherd for Israel, one who would go out before them, one who would bring them in, 
Again, that's a term, a military term, really. We find it when we get into First and Second Kings and uh, the Judges as well. We'll see it there, probably in Joshua. And that's what Joshua was, a military leader who brought them into the Promised Land and they had war against the people of the land there until they acquired the land that the Lord had given them. But someone who would lead them at his word, at his authority. But his word came not as Moses. Moses received the word of God directly. The Lord God talked to Moses as one might talk to a friend. But Joshua would have to stand before Eliezer, the high priest. And this would be the fashion from that time forward. That they would, kings, judges, leaders like Joshua, stand before the high priest that they would seek the Lord's guidance and the high priest would use the Urim and the Thummim, uh, a device that really is mysterious to us today because all we have is the mention of it in Scripture. We do know that by this device they were able to determine the Lord's will, but nobody really knows exactly how it worked or what these two stones maybe that they were. Um, scripture silent as to how it functions. And no doubt there's some tradition that is connected to it. But he had to seek the Lord's guidance through the high priest. That's the important part. Moses' request reminds us of our own good shepherd, Jesus, who went before us both as the son and the servant of God to become a door of our salvation who leads us into everlasting life. So it's interesting. Moses said, give them a servant that they would not be like sheep without a shepherd. Moses could have told the people, I have two sons and my sons are going to guide you into the promised land. But Moses didn't seek his own son to be a leader after him. He sought the Lord's will, and it wasn't a son, but Moses' servant who became Israel's next leader. Joshua was a man who had the Spirit of God, and Moses laid his hands upon him, recognizing the giftings that he had, and in the sight of the people as well, that they might follow him. But Jesus, both son and servant of God, became that door of salvation for us, who leads us into everlasting life. Jesus said in John 10, verses 9 and 10, I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and go out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus, both Son and servant of God, has become that door of our salvation who leads us into uh, the true promise of eternity, salvation through Jesus Christ. So not too bad. Got through chapter 27. We'll get into chapter 28. Uh, I picked verse 2 as a key verse here where it says, Command of the children of Israel, say to them, My offering, my food for my offerings, made by fire as a sweet aroma to me, you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. So remember, 
Moses is preparing the second generation that came out of Egypt. Everyone who, you know, they were either born in the wilderness or they were under the age of 20 when they came out of Egypt, they were going to enter into the promised land. We'll learn when we get to the book of Joshua that their parents didn't even properly, some argue that they didn't properly circumcise them. Um, I wonder if they were even circumcised at all. One of the first things that the Lord had them do after entering into the promised land was to circumcise all the males of the children of Israel. So they weren't really following the customs during those 40 years, as we'll see in a moment. But God is preparing the next generation of Israel to enter into the promised land. And he reminds them of the appointed offerings that they were to observe while in the land. Well, some of these sacrifices, no doubt, were offered over the period of 40 years. They did not seem to have an orderly observance of these things. In fact, Deuteronomy 12, 8 and 9 tells us, you shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing what is right in their own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God has given you. So sadly, that accusation of every man doing what was right in his own eyes is the same accusation that we have twice given to us in the book of Judges. They ended up doing what they were exactly doing in that first generation of doing whatever they felt was right and not being obedient to the word of God. God's reminding him here of what he required of them. Today, we live in a generation where it can be said of our generation that we have people, everyone doing whatever's right in his or her own eyes. And that is what not is not what the Lord desires of us. So it begins with the daily and Sabbath offerings, verses 1 through 8, Numbers 28. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel to say to them, My offering, my food for my offerings, made by fire as a sweet-smelling aroma to me, you shall not, you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed times. And you shall say to them, this is the offering made by fire, which you shall offer to the Lord, two male lambs in their first year without blemish day by day as a regular burnt offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer in the evening and one tenth of an ephod of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with one fourth of a hen of pressed oil. It is a regular burnt offering, which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet-smelling aroma of offering made by fire to the Lord. It and its drink offering shall be one-fourth of a hen for each lamb. In a holy place you shall pour out the drink to the Lord as an offering. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening as the morning grain and offering, and its drink offering you shall offer it as an offering made by fire, sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. So God reminds them, these are my offerings, my food, my offerings. And they were to have communion. They were to have fellowship with God through these daily offerings to stay in a fellowship relation, a communion relationship with God 
They were instructed daily at the temple, at the tabernacle, depending at what time we're talking about. These daily offerings were offered to the Lord. One in the morning, one in the evening. These were given to them when Moses, 40 years earlier at Mount Sinai, Exodus 29:42, that Yahweh instructed Israel that this was to be a continual burnt offering throughout their generations. So that daily offering, a lamb in the morning, a lamb in the evening, it was going to be a continual burnt offering throughout all their generations. And Yahweh promised to meet with the children of Israel there in that holy place to be in the midst of their people throughout their generations. So the daily offerings, Exodus 29:38, two lambs of the first year day by day continually in the morning and in the evening along with their grain offering, their drink offerings. And these were to be for a sweet Aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And through these offerings, the Lord promised to meet with Israel at the door of the tabernacle, which was sanctified by his Shekinah glory. It's where God dwelt in the midst of the children of Israel. God promised, Exodus 29, 45 and 46, I will dwell among the children of Israel. I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So we recently heard news down in Ashbury, Kentucky of a revival that took place there for 13 days. Uh, I think it was a Wednesday evening or Wednesday morning chapel that just didn't end for 13 days. They finally uh, closed the chapel meeting 13 days later. People from all over the world came to that event there. But it reminded me of the same area in 1970 when the Lord descended upon that place at that time. And you can look this up on YouTube. There's like an hour-long documentary that was made. And a lot of it came from an NBC News reporter that came to... Um, film the revival that was taking place there. He was so overwhelmed that he got his wife and brought her in and she got saved and became a believer. But the president of the college there had just uh, went to Canada that morning. And so when he got to the hotel, whoever was in charge called and said there at the hotel, they he got there, he was checking in. They said, you have a message from the school. You need to call them immediately. And he's like, I just left. What can be going on? And they, he called and said, what's going on? He says, the chapel. And he goes, yeah, that should have ended hours ago. And that was the thing. It didn't end. And so he got a trip back. And so what I remember, he said, I got the car. We were driving to the university and he said, as we got closer and closer to the university, the spirit of God, the presence of God was so strong that you could just sense it. Even when you got on the grounds, you didn't even get to the building. And he said, when I walked up to the building, he goes, you don't run into the presence of God. You walk into the presence of God. How interesting. The children of Israel were promised by the Lord God if they would give these offerings a continual burnt offering before the Lord, a sweet-smelling aroma. He said, I will dwell among them. 
and I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God. How we need to have that sense of awe of the presence of God. When I was a young boy in the church that I grew up in, uh, they had the sanctuary that was separate from the rest of the building. And I remember a few times mom instructing me, maybe on a Sunday evening, they had went down for fellowship in the fellowship hall and she'd left her purse in the sanctuary and she'd tell me to go fetch it. And, and that sanctuary with the lights off, everybody out of there, I didn't run into the sanctuary. I felt that the presence of God was in that place. No doubt he was. But I had at that time perhaps had a misperception of God that he was you know, in the location of the sanctuary, but it was a holy place for me. And I cautiously walked in. I didn't want to spook the Lord. Didn't want to scare him coming in to get mom's purse. But I have that memory of slowly walking in as a young child. We need that same awe today. Well, the Sabbath offerings, verses 9 and 10, the Sabbath day, Two lambs in the first year without blemish, two tenths of an ephod of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil with its drink offering. This is a burnt offering for every Sabbath besides the regular burnt offering with its drink offering. So the fourth commandment, God set apart the Sabbath day as a day of rest. That's found in Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do work. But on the seventh day, it's the Sabbath of the Lord your God. You shall do no work in it. And gave an explanation even that God created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh day. So God said in Leviticus 23:3, six days you will work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So there, the first mention of the Sabbath offering in Scripture is found here in Numbers 28. So we read about the Sabbath prior to this in Exodus 20 and Leviticus 23, but it doesn't tell us about the Sabbath day offering until we come to this passage, number 28, 9 and 10. Numbers 28, 9 and 10. So along with the morning and evening burnt offerings, two additional lambs were offered with their grain and oil and drink offering every Sabbath. And sadly, in Jesus' day, the religious rulers had turned the Sabbath into a day of traditions, of obligations, of burdens, and not the day of rest, not a day of refreshing or worship. Jesus said in Mark 2, verses 27 and 28, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So we're not accustomed to seeing sacrifices performed. This is what Jesus did for us through his sacrifice upon the cross, where he paid the penalty of our sin. And thus his blood now becoming that covering of our sin. As in 1 John 4.10 tells us, and this is love. Not that we love God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins, to be a covering for our sins. So the Sabbath day offerings. And I'm going to mention uh, a Sabbath later on. It reminded me, and we'll talk about this later on in our teaching, of the blue laws that we used to have. I grew up in a town that had blue laws. Um, And we'll talk about that in in a little bit. So verses 11 through 15, the monthly offerings. At the beginning of your months, you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs of the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephod of fine flour as a grain offering. I said that weird and swallowed weird. As a grain offering mixed with oil for each bull, two-tenths of an ephod of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil. For the one ram, one-tenth of an ephod of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering for each lamb, as a burnt offering, a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Their drink offering shall be a half a hen of wine for the bull, one-third of a hen for a ram, and one-fourth of a hen for a lamb. This is the burnt offering for each month throughout the months of the year. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering to the Lord shall be offered besides the regular burnt offerings and its drink offerings. So the daily sacrifice, the lamb in the morning, the lamb in the evening, that was all the time. And then you had these special sacrifices, the Sabbath day offerings, and now the monthly offering at the first day of the month, which would be today for us. Um, Psalm 81, 3 Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon, on our solemn feast day. So at the beginning of each month, the children of Israel worshiped Yahweh by offering burnt offerings that consisted of two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish, along with their grain, their oil, their drink offerings. And in addition to these was one kid goat that was offered as a sin offering And these were in addition to the regular daily offerings, the lamb in the morning, the lamb in the evening. Isaiah 66, 23, it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come and worship before me, says the Lord. So at the beginning of each month, there was a time when the people came to worship the Lord at the tabernacle later at the temple. There were these many offerings given to the Lord. One author stated it this way, this way. It was as if each new month could not start without the covering sacrifice. Additionally, they were to treat the new moon as a Sabbath rest, according to Amos 8.5. But sadly... The unrighteous saw the Sabbath rest as an inconvenience. Amos 8.5 says, when will the new moon be passed? When will this day be over with? That was their thought. That we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat. So they, the unrighteous, hated the new moon celebrations because they couldn't buy or sell. They hated the Sabbath because they couldn't buy or sell. 
In times past, many states, many counties, cities in the U.S. had blue laws. I grew up in a city in Winthrop Harbor, Illinois. We had blue laws there. We didn't um, have the blue laws that Zion had. Zion was a dry town. There was no alcohol there. We had one restaurant that, uh, Lakeview restaurant that was split on the city line. And so you had uh, technically county on one side, the city of Zion on the other side of the restaurant. And those who wanted to drink just had to sit, sit on the county side of the restaurant. Silly laws, how you get around laws. Um, but at that time, they, they gave up those laws because businesses wanted to come in. They wanted to sell their liquor and their alcohol. And so, you know, if they wanted the business, they had to give up on these laws. But in my town, I remember um, Sundays was not a day of sports. Our baseball diamonds were not active with baseball leagues going on. They were empty fields, and we had one field. Um, there was nothing going on. It was Sunday. In fact, churches also met in the midweek on Wednesday, so we didn't have practice or games on Wednesday nights either because that was a church night. That's how I grew up. And I think it was healthy in many ways for our nation. I believe our country was a much better place when we practiced a day of Sabbath rest. And sadly, the unrighteous see the blue law regulations as inconvenient and unprofitable profitable, just like Amos 8.5. When will this pass that we may sell grain, the Sabbath that we may trade wheat? Nothing has really changed. Even if people didn't uh, go to church, didn't worship God, they spent time with their families. They had time. They had, in a sense, a day of rest and they had opportunity for God to work in their lives. We busy ourselves too much these days. So that was a bonus. I was thinking about the Sabbath rest and the blue laws that we used to have um, in many of our countries, our cities and counties, and some of our states. I'm sure there's still some out there, many of them becoming obsolete at this point. And there are some bad things that I would say about uh, Winthrop Harbor, where I was raised. Um, I know the, only in hindsight, I didn't get this when I was a kid, but I saw it as I became a teenager. And then in my 20s, I really came to understand that uh, the Klan was very active in the town that I grew up in. I had no knowledge of it, but I can look back and see examples of it where I know that some of the kids that maybe Hispanic or African-American that I had played with when I was in grade school. They were always only there for a week or two, and then they were gone. I did not know that crosses were being burned at night in our town. So we had some good things going on. We had some pretty horrific things happening, and that's not happening now, too. Um, otherwise, they would have hated me when I moved with my Hispanic wife to the harbor. They would have been chasing us out of town, Lily, if they'd only known. <laughs> Passover and unleavened bread, verses 16 through 25 of Numbers chapter 28. Let me see where we're at. 
16 through 25, on the 14th day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord. On the 15th day of this month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It shall be eaten for seven days. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work, and you shall present an offering made by fire as a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs in the first year, to be sure they are without blemish. Their grain offering, their fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephod, you shall offer for a bull, two-tenths for a ram, you shall offer one-tenth of an ephod for each of the seventh lambs. And also one goat as a sin offering, so very much like the new moon offering. In fact, they're describing it exactly the same here. One goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. You shall offer these beside the burnt offering in the morning, the regular burnt offering. In this manner, you shall offer the food that is made by fire daily for the seven days as a sweet aroma to the Lord. It shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. And on the seventh day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. So Passover and later on in the next chapter, we'll read of the Feast of Trumpets, uh, Day of Atonement. So you had your spring feast days and your fall feast days. And really, in both of these, the Feast of Booths in the fall, and here with Unleavened Bread in the spring, you had this time where you spent a week worshiping the Lord. These offerings, these Passovers uh, being made before the Lord. The Passover itself on Nisan, the 14th, a time to remember when God passed over the nation of Israel, when they were in Egypt, while judging the firstborn of the Egyptians. And then that week following the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when all leaven was wiped clean from their homes. And it began with these sacrifices, with a Sabbath day's rest. It ended with a Sabbath day's rest. And really it's time for the people to have a holy day. Today we call those holy day holidays, and it usually has nothing to do with being holy. John 5:24 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word, he who hears my word, believes him who sent me, has everlasting life. He shall not come into judgment, but has passed over from death into life. So we have in Jesus Christ the Lamb of God, the true Passover, where Israel celebrated the angel of the Lord passing over their house, that death didn't come upon their homes there in Egypt that night. Now we have he who has died for us, that we can pass from death into life. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread from the 15th to the 21st, And this is the question of Easter. How come it always moves? You know, it's on a different week. It might be at the end of March some years. This year it's on uh, our Easter celebration will be April 9th. I think last year it was April 16th. It moves around because Israel is based on a lunar calendar, basically a 30-day schedule. It fluctuates. We have leap year to kind of help adjust our calendar they had an extra month that they would throw in every once in a while. In the month of Nisan, there will be two months of Nisan to help correct the calendar. 
but there would always be uh, the Passover celebration and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, always at the same time. It's when Jesus came in to the city as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By the end of that week, he was offered on the cross. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it also reminds us of leaven. In the Bible, leaven is always representative of sin. But in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So the Feast of Weeks, this is uh, Pentecost for us as well today. 50 days after Passover, on the first day of first fruits, you shall bring new grain. We're in verses 26 through 31, finishing out this chapter. Verse 26, also on the first day of first fruits, you shall bring new grain offering to the Lord at your feast of weeks. You shall have a holy convocation, another day, Sabbath day rest. You shall do no customary work. You shall present a burnt offering to the Lord, a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs in the first year, with their grain offering, their fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephod for each bull, two-tenths for one lamb, one-tenth for the seven, each of the seventh lambs, also one kid goat to make atonement for you, so a sin offering was presented. And be sure that they are without blemish. You shall present them and their drink offerings besides a regular burnt offering and its grain offering. So he mentions the kid goat as a sin offering in many of these offerings, maybe every one except for the uh, morning and evening sacrifices, the Sabbath sacrifice, that was different. But these monthly offerings, the Passover, the unleavened bread, the Feast of Weeks, they had this kid goat offered as a sin offering. So you're really talking about two separate types of offering. One was the sin offering. The other was a burn offering. A burn offering speaks about uh, being wholly dedicated to the Lord. And so it's really an offering of dedication, a dedication of the people, dedication of an individual, perhaps, if they do a burn offering like that. And so the two young bulls, the one ram, the seven lambs, this is a burn offering. This is the sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. The kid goat is a sin offering. That's never described as a sweet aroma to the Lord because it's paying the price of the people's sin. So the Feast of Weeks, Shavat, in Hebrew known to us today, it was a festival that was the gathering of the barley harvest. It takes place seven Sabbaths after the Feast of First Fruits plus one day. This year it'll be on May 25th. But it was also the celebration of the giving of the law there in the book of Exodus. And also for the church, it's when the Holy Spirit descended upon the church there in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost has fully come. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So today we're not commanded to give any such sacrifices. Our communion comes because of the offering that God made in our behalf through the giving of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, when he died upon the cross. 
2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. I believe we're going to see this on Sunday as well. And here in that verse I just read in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, we see the triunity of the Godhead being mentioned as Paul writes, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, the love of God, the Father, the communion of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit. So the Trinity being mentioned in this one verse, we will see this on Sunday as well, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit actively involved in our salvation that we might have fellowship with the Lord. I think Israel, when they got this right, they got it right in a good way. I believe in our country at times when our country got these things right, not that we offer sacrifices like this, but when we took time to worship God, to wait upon the Lord, to experience the presence of God, well, what a blessing it had been in times past for our nation. And I pray that it would be a blessing again for our nation. Our world is hurting and our world is hungry for something. And I don't think our world really knows what they're searching for. But we know that Jesus Christ is that one truth who gives life to us all. Well, I'm not going to take us into chapter 29. If you'd like to read ahead, we'll be looking at that next week. And we'll also continue into chapter 30. I always have three chapters prepared. I don't always torture you with these long studies. So I'll tell you the story this morning. We have uh, Bob, we, Bob. So I guess it's we. Bob couldn't be doing the reels if it wasn't for these words coming out of my mouth. So Bob started at the beginning of the year putting together reels, which is a 20 or 40 second spot that comes from my Sunday morning message. And usually he's been posting them on Friday. So I do the message on Sunday. We see the reel on Friday. And some of them, another one gained traction. We had the first one had uh, 1.5 so 1,500 views on it. We had another one get up to 1,400 views. This morning I saw another one's at 1.1. So they're gaining traction. Bob's figuring it out. He just told me before service, if he clicks that they're safe for children, nobody watches them. They go nowhere. So I guess we can't be safe for children if we want to get it out there. But uh, I noticed today, first of all, I got a message from someone, an Indian pastor that I met probably 10 years ago. I met him once and uh, friended him on Facebook or he friended me. And that's about it. That's been our relationship. But he messaged me this morning and kind of said, hello, man of God. You know, how are you guys doing? That's how he worded it. And then I noticed later on that day, I messaged back to him and we chatted for just a little bit. And uh, I noticed that he had seen one of the reels this week. 
So he had watched a reel. He had liked it. So that's how I knew that happened. And then I believe the reel kind of reminded him of me and got him in contact. So that is, uh, I think, the third pastor that I know of from India that has been reaching out to our little fellowship. So he asked how he's doing. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm here uh, preparing for tonight's study and uh, study of numbers. And he said, please, pastor, teach us and our evangelists too. And so I don't know where this is going, but um, you never know what those little 20-minute videos, 20-second videos might spur up, but God is doing something um, on the other side of the world from this little church. So be encouraged. God is working. So, Father, we thank you for this day you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for this time to worship. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to... Lord, we don't have these sacrifices today. We don't go through the rituals that Israel... They were required to do. And many of these rituals, Lord, we know having their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Today, Lord, we enter into fellowship because of the work that you have done, faith in that work, by believing and receiving the gift of salvation that you have afforded for us. But Lord, we may not have these rituals, but Lord, let us be sensitive to your spirit. Let us not desire to run into your presence, but to walk into your presence in awe of you, to wait upon you, to experience the empowering, the filling of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would do this for us, your church. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So that last Ashbury revival, the chapel on a Wednesday, um, what has come out about it, how did it go for 13 days? Why didn't it stop when chapel was over? Because 50 students decided to linger and to wait upon the Lord. So you never know what the Lord will do when we desire to linger in his presence. I pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.